0: Have you ever finished a lousy day at work only to find yourself in a disastrous rush hour with awful weather and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Am I truly willing to continue this routine for the money I'm getting in return? What would you do if you sought gratification first as opposed to money? How would your life change personally and professionally? For most of us, the notion of tossing everything we've built aside in the name of something bigger is just too much to consider. But the stories found in this series about what happens when that decision finally gets made makes for interesting interviews. And while the motivations behind the changes our guests have made in their own lives vary, what we often find out as a result of these decisions is what life on the other side of that choice is like. And my interview with Doug Moffitt of the Moffitt Group is no different. Fresh from his second appearance at the Hero Roundtable Conference, Doug Moffitt is a coach, referral group facilitator, and the epitome of what being a give-first person is all about. He's a husband, father, and steward of both the Beth Moffitt Scholarship Fund, as well as the Don and Paula Moffitt Scholarship Fund, created to honor the memories of Doug's brother, Beth, whose life was cut short in an auto accident in 1992, and the fund honoring his dad and stepmom's lives. Doug is a thoughtful, generous, and caring person, and I think the true measure of his integrity and character shine right through in this interview Give it a listen. Thank you yeah. for doing this. Thank you. It's it's great to always have a chance for me to help someone that I know tell their story in the way that it's meant to be told. So yeah. in, in this regard, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be the person sitting next to you in the chair. Thank you. Having this opportunity to be like, all right, let's get behind yeah. this whole thing. So yeah. I'm just going to jump right to it, man. So yeah. you have you right. have this I'm staring at it on the notebook, staring at you. Yep. Your mantra is live proactively. Mm-hmm. And it's a very provocative two words when put together. So it is. So let's get to the bottom of that. Let's get to the backstory. Like, how did that come to be? <clears throat> so uh, K-Toon
1: is a woman I was introduced to uh, last year in the summertime when I was looking for a logo for the Moffitt Group. Okay. Uh, really good introduction from Steve Zaskowski, one of your previous podcast uh, guests. Right. Um, and when I sat down with her, we met for coffee, and I told her about my my journey, tra- you know, changing jobs. I got to this halftime, and what I was really what I wanted the next twenty years to look like. And in about a half an hour, forty five minutes, I told her the story, and she just got this really good idea of me as a person and what I wanted to accomplish and do with my business. So when she gave, um, she she came back a week or two later with some ideas, with some two or three, uh, logo kind of proofs and ideas. And at the bottom of them, uh, not each one, but at the bottom of one of them said live proactively. And when I first said that, in fact, I remember telling her, I don't think I'm going to use that. K. Like kind of nice try but I don't think I'm going to use it. Uh-huh. Um, the more I thought about it, and then I went and did this talk last year at the Hero Roundtable, and my talk was about seizing the day. Uh-huh. And that really is kind of a good way to summarize what I think live proactively means. Uh, we could probably unpack that a whole a whole bunch, but just this uh, opportunity that we're given today. Today is really all we have, and let's make the most of it. A bit, a bit cliche, but it's truly what I believe in just helping people get healthy. In uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, all, in all those areas, and so what are you doing today? Get, and I've heard this a lot lately: to get one percent better today, one percent better today, in in any or all those areas, and then to get better in all those areas is kind of hard. So okay, just pick one. Yeah, well, you know? know, and and but just be proactive. And this last talk I did was about res- being a better respondent, about responding better to the stimulus and response you know, be a first responder, not a first reactor. So I think of the opposite of being proactive. It's being reactive, which <clears throat> I think I know a lot of people who are, and it's just life sometimes, you know, you get to these seasons and these places where you just feel like you're putting out fires, but the, but the, but there's more, you know, there's gotta be
0: more than that. Right. Well, you talked about it as being cliche and to de- delicate balance to hold on to tried and truisms and to promote them as cliche is relatively common. However, to be touched in a way that has what appears to be cliche on the surface has a a way of making it be more meaningful to individuals like you. Hmm. There's reasons behind why, this cliche, this apparent cliche is so meaningful to you. So talk a little bit about how you arrived at why live proactively would be important to Doug Moffat.
1: Well, we'd probably have to go back to uh, Beth for for that one. For sure. In 92, Beth was, was killed in an auto accident that, you know, there were eight kids in that car and she was the only fatality that was even though it was 27 years ago, that was a huge, um, what I just talked about in this last talk, this huge Kairos moment for me, mm-hmm. this life-changing, you know, some people call it a turning point. Um, but certainly this big, just we got hit by, all of my family got hit by a two-by-four. It was just, you know, the worst tragedy you could imagine. So since that day, that's where kind of the Carpe Diem, that was around the time Dead Poets Society and Robin Williams came out and he ta- you know, taught his kids Carpe Diem. And, you know, to me at that point, one of my responses was, what if I'm next? All right. That could have been me. Sure. That could be me. And then I continue to see being in uh, in the insurance business, we continued to hear case studies and, you know, uh, st- stories about people who had passed away at way too early an age. So um, then fast forward to my dad when we'd done all the work on her scholarship and, and the golf outing, and, and then my dad gets sick and died at 64, and... Uh, And then my stepmom, like five years later, so not to be Dougie Downer, but just realizing like you have, you go through enough of these experiences and you realize, okay, uh, you know, I need, I need to be intentional. I need to be very filled with purpose. At least I do. That's what drives me. gets me up in the morning. And, you know, just what am I doing? What am I doing today to get a little bit better? How, How am I getting healthier today? Um, and helping other people with that, and this whole um, this whole aspect of coaching, which uh, I had a little bit of exposure to at Northwestern, but it was one of the things I felt called to. When people said, "What are you going to do next?" I said, "I think I want to be a coach." And I hired a coach last summer named Todd Olson. He's awesome, and he's helped me through work through so many challenges and helped me really. You know, I think one of the jobs of a coach is to help people break through, mm-hmm. to break patterns. To, um, to figure out what they can do today and and to create it and be innovative and creative, you know, kind of pulling it from within themselves is one of the, again, one of the jobs that a coach uh, should be doing and offer through asking powerful questions and through really helping
0: people grow and learn and develop um, how to get out of their own way. And there's always been a strong element of coaching in your personality. And I, I, you know, mm-hmm. I... I Having had the opportunity to know your dad as well as know you, I if, if there's something that I can clearly see that is a Moffat hallmark, it's this notion of how can I be of assistance to you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a lot of ways that that can manifest itself from uh, taking that passion or that inclination and turning it into your vocation. Yes. Right? Yes. Is something that many of us if given the opportunity and everything else were stripped away Mm -hmm. to say like, what would you do if you were really in touch with the things that are gratifying to you? And this notion of coaching, it's so obvious to me that, you know, this, this is something that you should be doing, Mm -hmm. but, but talk about the journey that got you to that point that had you realize that like, Hey, I'm sort of in conflict with what I do versus what I'm really called to do. Yes, so that takes me back to
1: 2016, when um, when Paula got sick, my aunt was living with her. Uh, she had moved out of her house in Ann Arbor, didn't sell it, but moved out of it into a beautiful condo um, up the road, not far from here, four thousand square foot condo for a 76 year old woman who knew she was terminally ill, and so I was going between three different places almost every day, and I just as I figured out at this point now that I was coaching myself through that period because every day I just kept asking some some deep questions like, okay, what am I here for? What what does this all mean? Kind of where where do I go from here with this? And and having some great discussion with my wife, she just listened so so intently all those all those years, and I. Uh, the more I did my business at Northwestern, I realized I was, and I would call myself in my old Sears Net group the defensive specialist. The defensive Being, being the goalie. <laughs> I'm like, okay, see, I took that seriously. And when I explained it to people, it made a lot of sense to them. Like a lot of light bulbs went off, particularly for men who were, who were athletes or who were competitors, when I said, you know, your insurance is the defense. And that was the part I really gravitated to. But Northwestern, um, and it's just kind of the way the industry was going. They they were really encouraging their guys to to get investments and incorporate, you know, do everything, have this what they call balanced practice. And I just really they just kept trying to turn me into a you know a, a CFP, and I I couldn't pass any of those tests. I was <laughs> terrible at taking those tests, and I kept getting really mad and frustrated. And the more I the more I pressed into it, the more I realized I was not in alignment with this calling because it really is a calling. And, 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 and at a certain point, uh, a buddy called me out on it. We were over in Ireland. He said, you've already made your mind up. You know, it was a half a year of saying, I think I want to do something else. Um, he said, you've already made your mind up, so now just go do it. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I, I put a plan in place. I talked to a lot of people and uh, finally made that decision at the end of 2017 to go out on my own and to, to create... Oh what is now the Moffat group. hmm So that, that is kind of how I got I, and I also read a book called Halftime. I have to mention the book called Halftime by Bob Buford. Um, because it really confirmed or affirmed a lot of the things I was thinking in my mind that were, you know, could could have been seen as potentially crazy. Like, what do you mean you're leaving a twenty year career? You know, that everybody in there says, Oh, you know, the longer you stay the more money you make and I just I realized that it wasn't the money wasn't the most important thing to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I, was, I found myself like not wanting to go in the office. And like when I did go in there, trying to be uh, like stealth so nobody would see me come or go. You know? And I was like, this isn't good. This isn't healthy. I wanted to be closer to home. I wanted to be more in my community, into the Brighton area, where I was kind of going back and forth between Livingston and Washtenaw. And I never felt like I was totally submerged or immersed in one, in one of those communities. So once I did that, it just kind of things just started falling into place, and I uh, I met Todd, and 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 he helped me introduce me to the institute where I'm taking my classes right now for coaching. I got my tennis job up, up in Heartland, and um, you know it's just interesting when again cliche back to the cliche when one door closes, <laughs> another opens. Right, and I wrote a vision. At the month after I left northwestern i went i did a zing train uh they they call it creating a vision of greatness uh-huh. class Jennifer and I went two days. It was unbelievable and I left there with a five year vision that took all the all the things I'd been thinking and it put it into like a page and a half single spaced vision that I was not only excited about but just in just totally reinvigorated and and that was that what they say is strategically sh- sound. It should be inspiring and strategically sound. Right. Is what they say about your vision. Right. You should want to read it. It should get you excited. And and it did. It, and, and and it's amazing as I'm looking back on it now. How many of the things in that vision have already started coming to life. Mm-hmm. And coming
0: true. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's crazy. It is
0: crazy. And a lot of times even if you don't have that document sitting somewhere directly in front of you to refer to. Usually from a gut instinct perspective, when you go back and revisit it, it's astounding. Like, oh, my God, I totally have moved a bunch of these things that are in this document forward without me even having it out to say, did I or... Conversely, you have people who are the opposite, who are literally studying every minute detail of their vision and creating KPIs to say, like, have I become 1% better that I can quantify on this sheet of paper today? But regardless, the importance is having the vision and Mm. having the willingness to be able to move that ball forward in a way that you can then go back and evaluate and say – am I doing things that are consistent with what I've articulated as my vision? Right. Right. And I think a lot of us, especially for those people who maybe are a little bit further behind you and I in that journey, it's the uh, measurement statistics that are so vastly different for the person who hasn't gotten to that place yet. Mm -hmm. Did I put my 40 hours in this week? Did I not have any sick days? Yeah. Right. Those are no longer things that you consider. It's, it's such a different set of criteria that you're measuring yourself against once you've arrived at that vision place. Right, absolutely. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. That word "vision" is. Um, I, I just. I was really admiring from afar what, Zing, what, what Zingerman's was doing as a business, as a as a community of businesses. Agreed. And and I just thought I didn't want to copy it, but I but I thought I could uh, potentially. Uh, take that idea on a smaller scale and that really is kind of how my business is developing right now but they teach vision to every single employee that they have and they're so big into developing their even the dishwashers and the you know the people working in the loading docks at at the mail order and and that's just awesome and I and I wasn't seeing that where I was but and I knew and like because when you step into that world and you kind of feel that energy and I got to know several
0: people there, I'm like, I want more of that. Totally. You know? And I, I am uh, sympathetic, empathetic to that moment when uh, you reached that day when you stood in the bullpen at Northwestern and said to yourself, I am not where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Because it has a way of being gut wrenching from that point forward yeah. to say, like, how am I going to get myself out of this situation? And and my my supposition of that moment in many ways is when you're in a place that you believe that's been engineered fundamentally to take. And you are not a take person, you're a give person. Mm-hmm. That's when the beginning of the end starts. Mm-hmm. Right. It's mm-hmm. when you come to the realization that these people are, are here for this express purpose of taking things from other people. And I don't feel comfortable with that anymore. Yeah. And you are so obviously a give first person talk about how, what give first has meant to you since you've been able to make that pivot.
1: Well, it's the, I talk about it a lot in my, in my serious net groups. Um, I'll ask new members as, as I've asked you before, what, what would you like to, um, what are you most excited about, giving to the group and receiving from the group? I mean, maybe it goes back. It's probably There's probably quite a bit in there. Uh, I also think of uh, the idea of a tithe uh, where you give for first from what you receive. It's the very first thing you do. Uh-huh. And after I had um, settled mom and dad's um, estate, if you want to call it that, and gotten all their bills paid and everything was received and then I'm kind of sitting there the very first thing I did was gave money away and I started, I don't know if I ever told you that, I started a scholarship fund for my dad and Paula because I knew if it were up to them they would say just put it into Beth's fund and I, and I said to myself no you guys were so big on education and, and just pouring into people and in this younger generation that we needed to establish that first for, so I went to the same foundation and Don and Paula Moffitt Scholarship Fund, they matched it. It was just a beautiful thing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you know, and then you look just look at the little things like when you're in your relationships and if you're married uh, with your kids, um, if, if you're giving first, I mean, that's just that maybe it's tied into servant leadership, right? It's just that example of I'm here to serve, I'm here to give. Um, and there's probably a great—I don't remember who said it—but when you when you give and take care of others, your needs are met. Something mm-hmm. something around those mm-hmm. around those lines. And I, and I wasn't always there. I think I maybe had some. Um, I think I had some good moments there, but inclinations. I had some incl- yes. inclinations, but I'm as st- selfish as as the next person, and, and we're. It's very contradictory to you know being independent and self-sufficient and taking care of yourself because then all of a sudden it's this change of mindset like oh wait i think that's probably where the parenting you know you you get that first tweak when when you become a parent like yep. oh wait it's not all about me. <laughs> all it's right? about other people about these little tiny people <laughs> and uh, so yeah uh, gosh that's a really good question um i don't know what else to say no you, the, you hit the, it about man. the giving piece
0: and uh, I'm reminded of a, uh, a former guest on the program, Mr. Rod Brown, who said that um, he was taught by his mother at a very early age the adage, to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah. And mm. that's been a really powerful message that stuck with me, you know, ever since he's told me that. And like yourself, like many people that I've interviewed for this series, There is this very distinct divide between people who believe that that's the way to go versus people who have not considered whether it's the way to go. Mm -hmm. There are a subset of people who have chosen that that is not their path. Mm. But I would say the large part of people have not made a decision one way or the other. And it's for those of us who have made that choice to say that this is the way we're going to approach our strategy you see where it resonates with other people very quickly. Yeah. Especially the people that have not made a decision one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So to the person who's a taker, they see us as a rube to the person who's indifferent. We seem nice. Mm -hmm. And to the people who have already adopted the same philosophy, we feel like tribe. Yeah. So in that, in that quick, uh, moment in time where you make a decision to either, present yourself that way or to refrain you're really giving the person on the opposite side of that interaction a chance to assign value to you and it's really up to them Mm -hmm. to decide but for me what I'm always looking at is what a great way for me to realize okay like you're clearly not this message isn't resonating with you so I'm not going to try to convince you Mm -hmm. and oh by the way thank you Doug your tribe so like I'm going to set you off to the side here, and we'll talk in a minute. Right. And I'm going to spend the rest of my time trying to reach the people who haven't made a decision yet in the, in the middle, yeah, right. And yeah. it's and it's the battle for the middle that I see as our opportunity as yeah. people who have chosen give first to take that battle out into the marketplace every day and say like, who's with me, right. right, right, and and you're you're hitting on it by saying like, it's not really your words, it's what you do, yes, and you know when you have. A scholarship that was for your sister that really you largely don't have to be responsible for anymore. If you chose, that is a completely impossible decision to you. You would never not continue that legacy for your sister. But then to say, not only am I going to continue to honor her, but I'm going to add something for my stepmom and dad as well because they're just as deserving as my sister is. Just more evidence of the fact that you're a gift first guy. So. I want to pivot though. And the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is yes. for many of us who find ourselves in <clears throat> halftime mm. and, and making the decision to do something different than what we've done up until that moment, it has this way of spawning ancillary careers. Mm-hmm. And for you, it's spawned a number of ancillary careers, yeah. including now you're speaking. Mm. And really what I, I wanted to leave you with the opportunity to talk to the folks that are listening to this is some of us are aspiring to be in a moment, to stand on a stage in front of people and share something in a way that could connect us with those people. Mm. Not everybody can get there. How did you get there? How did that work out for you? <clears throat>
1: um, I asked, I asked somebody who was working at the hero Roundtable, or Actually, I didn't ask, I mentioned it to them, that I was interested in maybe one day being on that platform.
0: <laughs> All right, back up, though. Talk about yeah. what's Hero Roundtable, just so people So know. Hero
1: Roundtable is uh, a two-day conference, an event, which just finished up here. Um, there's actually, uh, they have one in uh, Yarm, Australia. There's been, they've had a couple overseas. There's been one in San Francisco. I think there's one coming up in New York. They were started by a man named Matt Langdon, who was from Australia, but spent some time here in the Brighton area because his wife taught at a local school. They're now married, but he had this idea. He was big. He was a former teacher, big into the idea of heroism. What does it mean to be a hero uh, in our in our everyday lives? And so I saw a poster, believe it or not, two years ago. As I was as I was in halftime, getting ready to make this transition, I knew at this point I was leaving my career to start a brand new one, and I saw walked by, saw this poster, and it just sounded really intriguing to me. So I attended that. It was at Cleary University that year, and I was so inspired, slash motivated, slash encouraged by all of the speakers from all different walks of life, over 20 speakers. It's a bit, a bit like a TED Talk. You get, you're given 12 minutes. And I sat there that day and just was in awe. I took notes on everybody, and... Um, So when I saw Spencer Field the following year, I said, hey, I really enjoyed that. I'm planning on attending again this year. Maybe at some point I could tell my story up there. And one thing led to another. He introduced me to Matt. Matt, Matt asked me for some brief info. I gave him an email. We had a conference call, and he said, you're in. So then came time to kind of develop my story, It's 26 years of experience and condense it all (laughs) into 12, which was challenging yet thrilling and um, so rewarding that uh, I just wanted to do it more. Right after last year's talk, I went to and attended a two-day conference my friend Matt Dela Cruz, who is a speaker, uh, he has a uh, business called The Winning Minds Group, and I always, I've attended his events in the past, and kind of have always thought maybe I could do that. You know, that that looks pretty cool. I like his his approach, and I like the things he talks about. I like the way he's inspired me and the people that I talk to. You know, that I meet at his events. So it's a, it's a different tribe. Yep. Right. And I just felt that, and I felt compelled to um, to work on it and to pursue it a little bit. And it's been amazing. And one of his Zig Ziglar was one of his mentors. Oh wow. And, uh, and Jim Rohn and a um, bunch of Tom Hopkins. So, I mean... Heavy uh, hitters. Heavy hitters. Yeah. And he's a big sales guy, and I've learned a lot from him. But the the one main thing he told us at that seminar, Builders, was Zig, 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 Zig Ziglar said, whenever you're given the opportunity to speak, don't ever pass it up. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's amazing how many times, whether it's a prayer at a family you know, holiday or you know, getting up to introduce somebody or just little things, saying a moment of silence for Connor Krause at CirrusNet, these little things have really developed and I just love, I'll, I'm ready and willing and able to get up there at any point now, not because I think I'm the best uh, speaker, but I'm just passionate about it. And I really, and I really like doing it. Like I'm, I love doing
0: it. I, I'm, I'm struck by the thread of your friend on a trip to Ireland telling you, Doug, you've already made up your mind and you sitting in the crowd at hero Roundtable, thinking to yourself, Someday I'm going to do this. (laughs) It's in many ways you you're there's many people in 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 the listenership who are long to get to action. Mm -hmm. Myself included. Mm -hmm. I spent a fair amount of time getting ready to get ready to do something like far be it for me to knock anybody for doing it because I'm as guilty of it as anyone. But it's if you never get there, if you never get there. You don't get the chance to stand on the stage. Right. And if you even remotely believe that you want to stand on the stage, you owe it to yourself to get up on that stage. And even if you get up and say, wasn't for me, Hmm. I'm not going to do it again. Very rarely will you say, wasn't for me, not going to do to do it again. I wish I would have never done that. Yeah. Right. Totally right. Totally right. Yeah, it is
1: you know, just a matter of doing it and, and giving it a try. In the words of uh, Jerry Weinberg from Sandler Sales over in Southfield, one of my original teachers, what's the worst thing
0: that can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? I could be horribly embarrassed and they'll laugh me off the stage. And guess what? You most likely would never see those people ever again. And no one would know that it happened. Yeah, so right. what, what's the big deal, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Doug, if, if, if uh, someone's listening to this and they're in the middle of <laughs> approaching their halftime,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I suspect there's a fair amount of people in the middle of a commute to work or a commute home from work when it's especially miserable and the weather sucks and traffic is awful and they're saying to myself, what am I doing? Yeah. What would be your advice to them?
1: I would just start to write down what you're feeling and, and what your thoughts are, um, particularly what you're feeling, and kind of start working on a vision. Start working on goals and what, and what you want, what you really want, what you really, really want. You know, go kind of dig down in that iceberg. Like sometimes we, have you ever seen a picture of the iceberg with only, t- I think, 10 or 12% of it actually shows at the top, right? And then the rest of it's all below, and it's so powerful when you act, when you can drill down and really say, you know what, really really do I want? And then find some good people to talk with that, talk about that with, and start making and then start making some plans, and then start taking action. They can be small steps; they don't have to be huge. But as my dad would say, you know, moving forward. Taking those taking those steps, one step at a time, sometimes even baby steps from what about Bob, right? Just little those little progressions sometimes can be very, very big.
0: Well, and I think we'll leave it at this, this notion of getting 1% better. Yeah. If you're not invested in an exercise towards moving away from what's causing you pain and towards something that gives you joy... Mm-hmm. How on earth can you tell anyone that you're on a journey of getting 1% better every single day? Right. So we'll leave it at that. 1% Absolutely. better every day, write it down. And perhaps someday you too will be standing on stage in front of people condensing 26 years of your career down to 12 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Thanks Doug. I really appreciate it, man. Thank That's you, a lot
1: Roger. I appreciate being here.
0: Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I enjoyed recording it. Some of the things that I really enjoyed were the notion of becoming 1% better physically, spiritually, and or mentally every single day. The notion of being a first responder as opposed to a first reactor and being able to seize the day. And the idea of being able to understand in a give-first economy that a taker will see you as a rube, a giver will see you as tribe. And that really we're all in the battle for the undecided neutral in the middle who thinks that give first is nice, but it hasn't made their own decision. And then lastly, I'll recall Rod Brown when he uh, told me and I related in the interview to whom much is given, much is expected. It's really, really important for us to consider that when we are fortunate enough to have the embarrassment of riches that some of us are capable of having. So if you like that, please, by all means, subscribe, share this episode with other folks if you think that it would give them just a little bit of inspiration and maybe brighten their day on that awful commute home where they're asking themselves those same questions about whether they might be approaching halftime and it might be time for themselves to consider something new as well. Until next time, this is Roger. Take care.